Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, it's Monique. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, welcome. If this is your first time listening, this is a Brown Vegan Podcast, episode 136. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people go vegan in a way that feels good to them. I also love to talk about overall wellness topics and vegan entrepreneurship because this is truly more than food. It's such a lifestyle. You can find out more about what I do and how I do it at brownvegan.com. And also, don't forget to come hang out with me on Instagram. I'm at Brown Vegan over there. Let me know what you think of this episode. So yes, I hope all is well in your world. I'm feeling good. My birthday is actually on Wednesday, probably today if you're listening to the episode when it first comes out. Really looking forward to the next decade of my life. And I'm just, yeah, I just feel really good. Last night I went to the DC show. Tabitha Brown was there for her book tour. I'm not exactly sure when the book comes out, but it's called Feeding the Soul because it's my business. Y'all know that's her tagline. I was able to get a signed copy of the book on her DC stop last night. So it was a nice date night. We went to the show, went to dinner, had some drinks, just a really good time, just hanging out, learning more about Tab's story. You know, we know a lot of it, but it was good to be able to see it in person. So So anyway, on the show today, I have vegan chef, entrepreneur, and actor, Allende Howe. So we talk about so much, y'all. Like, I mean, (laughs) so much in this conversation. It was one of those times where I felt like there was so much that we can talk about and I did not want to cut down the conversation, I guess. I felt like, okay, we can talk about food because he's a chef, but I really just wanted to talk about his journey, his whole life as as far as entrepreneurship, because I absolutely love listening to those stories. And so business journey as far as his passion started when he was 13 years old, just helping his mom make food deliveries. And then, of course, that led to him doing pop-ups and catering and owning a restaurant and 
taking his his family's famous mac and yeast, which is vegan macaroni and cheese, making that into what it is today as far as like going from Whole Foods to to actually being in over 100 Costco locations. So it's just really good to just hear like all of the ups and downs of his journey in so many ways, even though he's been doing this for so long, I feel like he's just getting started. As always, the show notes and everything I mentioned is going to be found at brownvegan.com under episode. Episode 136. And of course, you should order your own mac and yeast. You can get that at ieatgrass.com or check out Costco's. I highly recommend checking out Costco in your area to see whether or not you can purchase some mac and yeast there. So yeah, let's go ahead and get right into the conversation. I came to veganism, I guess, in an interesting way because I didn't choose it. I came into it initially as a baby. My mom started to turned the family vegan when she was pregnant with me and throughout her pregnancy and whatnot. And then I grew up, you know, vegan and I was the youngest. So, and I'll always say like, I was just, you know, I was happy to, I was happy to be there, you know, I was eating everybody's food, <laughs> everybody cooked and all my sisters, my sisters cooked, mom cooked, my dad cooked. So I was always just eating everything. And I was like, this, this tastes good to me. Like, you know, but I, I grew up also, I grew up in the time when fast food sort of started to like, take a foothold, you know, it started to become more popular and whatnot. And I remember, you know, people always ask me, so you've been vegan all your life. You never wanted to try meat. You've never been into meat. Blah, blah, blah. And the answer is like, have I been curious? Yeah. You know, marketing is a motherfucker. Like I remember seeing, you know, I can remember the Taco Bell commercials and McDonald's. Commercials. Like I remember seeing all that stuff and be like, wow, what is that about? You know, but we would always have some version of that at home anyway. Like my parents were big into like, not even like finding replacement, like faux meat things. Cause remember this was like the eighties, you know, they were more like, let's make some grains. How about some millet and some quinoa? How about some tofu and some tempeh and some, you know, TVP or whatever. Like, so anything that I kind of saw other than like the super highly processed foods, like I never, like I never had a candy bar growing up i never had like you know but i always thought a candy bar was probably delicious or uh, you know candy because i remember because we said we used to also have a corner store it's so interesting so i'm kind of getting off the topic but we used to have a corner store in tacoma washington where i grew up and we sold everything and i mean everything from like you know wonder bread to candy bars to penny candy to processed food. And then we also had like our vegan and organic section. And we would always, I remember my dad had, you know, at that point he had like a wholesaler's license. So he could just like buy anything, buy anything. You know, we always offered it to the community, but the community wasn't really at like vegan level, but they used to sell vegan food. You know, they used to sell vegan food. They used to sell organic produce and all sorts of stuff. And they like kind of really giving the neighborhood a more well-rounded approach to it. But, you know, in the house, so we would do that at the store, which is like the second home. And at the house, we would always be eating vegan. We had a garden in the back. You know, I remember like growing potatoes. And I remember, I specifically remember growing potatoes because I remember like you could, when the potato got old, it would start to sprout, start to get the little knobs on it. And then we would sit it on the back porch in the sun and then it would get like really big sprouts. And then you go put that in the ground and then you would grow a potato. And so Mm -hmm. I think that understanding food from a different perspective at a very early age is sort of what kept me vegan, I'd say, because 
I just I didn't see food as something you went to the store to get. I didn't see food as something that came in a box. I didn't see food as something that came from an animal. I just I saw food in a in a like I said from the prism of vegetables, fruits, grains, legumes. I mean, this was the time. This was before friggin' soy milk. Like they would they would make soy milk. Okay. You would make soy milk like you you would get. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even think you would get this the kind of soy milk you get in China or like uh, because I was I, I was there recently. But like it would literally be like juiced soybeans, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and you'd be like, it had no taste to it. So like I would see you know honey smacks on TV with people eating cereal and stuff, and then so like okay, well we'll try to find the vegan version of that. So we would get some puffed barley or something and some soy milk. <laughs> which was just soybeans, <laughs> no sweetener, no vanilla, nothing, right? Maybe we like add a little bit to it. And I was like, man, this is gross. <laughs> like, <laughs> like these kids, like y'all these days, y'all got it good. Trust me. Like people these days, they have it really good. You got, you know, you can get milk from anything, anywhere, anytime. But like, no, nah, growing up in the eighties, man, it wasn't, it wasn't readily available. I, and you know, just to kind of come out to the macro view, then the the, the neighborhood saw us as a we grew, I grew up Rastafarian and being inside dreads and you know it was the whole thing right and so the neighborhood looked at us like wow these niggas are weird but <laughs> <laughs> but they're entrepreneurs they're creative they got this crazy vibe like you know my parents that like the store was a complete as they will call it now vibe but you know this is a little sidebar I feel like. What people would miss about the word vibe is vibration. And it was really like having, they were just on a different vibratory level, right? They, they, you know, the same reason why I don't want a job is because that's how I was raised. They were like, no, you can create for yourself. You know, all you need is a, a good idea, a little something you can sell, you know, you know, they had a piece of property and, you know, the, the, the corner store was my grandfather's store and, my dad bought into it and, you know, the whole generational wealth thing, right? It was, it was very small at the time, but that's, that looking back on it, that's what it was. But it was very different. Like, we were, it, Tacoma's a blue-collar town. There's a military town. Everybody gets up, goes to work, has a job. Kids go to school, blah, blah, blah. Like, we were homeschooled, entrepreneurs, you know, vegan, like, very different. Now that sounds like, oh, yeah, that's Santa Monica. But... <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> you feel me? But but in Tacoma, it, it, was, it was very different. So I would say to round off the answer to your question, the qu- more of the question is what made me stay vegan, right? So by the time mm-hmm. I got to be a teenager and, you know, could sort of like rebel and do all the things, I rebelled in a lot of ways, but I don't know. I always just liked the way we ate food at home. And, I was, and that other food was so foreign to me. You know, I remember being in high school and like all the kids would just eat chicken nuggets and French fries every day. Every day, <laughs> every day, okay, and then go get a soda or some sugary stuff out of the. And I just, something about me just knew like that can't be safe. Like that can't be good for you. But I was also, I was embarrassed about eating my food. So I would like kind of like, you know, huddle in the corner and I'd bring food to school and whatnot or, or not. You know, it was always a big, the social part of being vegan has always been like the thing, right? Well, then, like again, now it's not as it's not as difficult. Like then, and in certain parts of the country now, it is too. So the social part of it is has always been the thing, right? And, and 
you, you know, going out to, you know, going out with your friends, you know, I've always been the only vegan in my friend group. And it's like, oh man, okay. Can I end to eat or, or what can you eat? Or are you cool? And, and, you know, we started, I remember being, I remember one of the first, the first few products you could eat when you go out was like, you know, it was like the garden burger. Then it was like the Boca burger. And then it was, you know, whatever else kind of came along and you kind of, kind of moved you a little bit forward to be able to, to eat something, right? Because there was a time, and it still is, again, in certain parts of the country, there is, you know, you go to a place and you ask for something vegan and they look at you like, is that fish? Or do right. you, what does that mean? Like, white meat? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then actually, you know, having grown up around food like that, I got into cooking. My late teens, you know, early 20s, I started cooking, started cooking professionally. And I always cooked vegan food, but I remember there's been a few times where I cooked meat. And and we always, and I used to see, my parents used to, they used to sell meat. They used to cook and sell meat in the store. Like, you know, my dad is from Alabama and cooking runs through the family. So my grandfather was known as the fried chicken man, the, the king of fried chicken in Tacoma. He had the best fried chicken recipe, you know, in Tacoma. And on my, on my mom's side, they used to cater. So cooking has always been in the family. So when we had the store, the little deli in the back, they would sell chicken and ribs and pig feed and rice and, you know, all sorts of stuff. They would sell all sorts of stuff. Being vegan, being Rasta, being vegan, being all this stuff. And I remember asking my dad before he passed away, I remember asking him, I said, yo, how did you reconcile that? Like, how did you do that? Yeah, because I've been thinking about that the whole time you've been talking about this. So he said two things. He said, first of all, he said, they weren't ready. He said, they weren't ready for where we were consciously. Mm. And he said, that's, you know, he's like, that's why we always offered it. But that neighborhood, those people said they weren't ready. And he said, and I had to feed y'all, you know, he's like, I had to, I had to keep money coming in, you know? So they, I think they kind of, they, they made their moralistic choices around a supporting their family and be like, what worked, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of used what they had. And then, you know, and, and then I would say mid 90, I must've been like 13 or 14, 13 to 14. Yeah. My mom I remember she used to, she kept saying to my dad, we need to sell the food that we eat at home. He's like, this food is good. We got to figure out a way to sell this food. And so, and they had had a few forays into like food distribution before. So, but at the time we, you know, we were in the middle of a big crack epidemic and the neighborhood was the the beginning of, the beginning of gentrification. The beginning of gentrification is when the neighborhood goes all the way downhill and everybody sells and runs out. Yeah. So there was a, a restaurant that somebody was selling for a very, very low price. I think it was like $30,000. I don't know. It was something. But my mom, you know, my mom had the money or, you know, my mom and my parents got together and they, they got the money together to like put a down payment on it. They got it, bought it, and then started to, you know, then we took the food that we made at the house, the, all the vegan food, and scaled it up. Not to open the restaurant, but we did distribution. So we would, so my mom and I, she took me out because I was still being homeschooled. She took me out and she would go find places that wanted to buy vegan food, you know, prepackaged vegan food. And there was always a handful of health food stores around. And there was, I think we started off with like maybe three or four. And then on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'd go up and we'd make, you know, a few items. It would be like a, a burger sandwich a burrito something like that we would make and then we would we would go and 
take them to these places and drop them off and they would sell them and you know and you know eventually it caught on because at that time it's still kind of today but at that time specifically vegan food didn't have no flavor you know and, and, and even today like there's still not a lot of black people in the food manufacturing part of vegan food you know but at that time there was none and so we kind of hit the market you know in a niche and so we started to grow and people started to ask for it and we started to sell more things we would sell i think you know so throughout my teens i used to go deliver with my mom deliver the food you know and eventually i sort of understood the business a lot more we would do we went from doing sandwiches and we started doing dinners we would do pies we would do all sorts i mean all manner of things did everything that we ate at the house we she literally figured out a way to package everything up take it on the road and sell it and that's what <laughs> that's what we did and then eventually like i i started to see the potential and i expanded that distribution route and i used to you know drive the truck up and down i5 Tacoma and Seattle and Olympia and Everett and delivering sandwiches. And that was a big, that became, as, the, as sort of the scales tipped, right, in the neighborhood, as more people moved out, the store, the original store, Quickies is what it was called, and we got a little less business, and we started selling more vegan food. And so as a trend, and, but it was outside of the neighborhood. It was still outside of the neighborhood. And then eventually mm. we opened up the cafe in the neighborhood. We were still, you know, doing enough business to support it. And people would sort of trickle in and people would, you know, they would try it and they would like it. But it's been, it's still there. And people would trickle in and they would, they would, okay, this is good. This is good. And then, but it was all, it was, I would say only now the black people and sort of the kids that I went to high school when I grew up with who are now in their late 30s and 40s, late 30s and early 40s you know, hit that like, oh man, my doctor said I can't eat meat no more, man. What's that vegan stuff you was talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? You're the resource that? now. Yeah, what's, <laughs> that, what's that What's that tofu y'all be making? Let me try some of that. You know, and, you know, but we, you know, I think that the biggest lesson is from, from my parents and from them was just like the consistency. Like, you know, like I said, you know, they did what they had to do in the beginning and then when the opportunity presented itself to, to do what they believed in and they did that, you know, and they were always adamant about staying in the hood, like staying in the neighborhood. You know, we never moved through the crack, through the heroin, through the bloods and crips wars, through all of it. They're still there, you know, never, you know, moved us or took us out, of the, you know, because it was my, my father was involved in the black nationalist organizations. And he was, you know, in the, involved with the Panther Party down here in California before he moved up there. So all of that mentality was just in them. And like I said, having a little something that you could work with, you know, something of your own to work with and just build off of. And that's what it, that's what it became. I love hearing this story. I really love hearing your story. And I didn't realize that you were homeschooled. I didn't, I did not know that. Yeah. So that's even another unique perspective. So I'm, it's, it's crazy how, like you said, you, your friends and probably family too, extended family transition from you were kind of embarrassed to bring your food around them right. to now they're like, okay, what can I, what can I do to make this, this, this shift? So it's good that you'll be able like, you know, to be a resource for your family and friends for sure. Yeah. I want to know more about the, you and you just, your journey as far as your career, because mm. you said you were of course raised in a way that 
you know, you don't need a job. You can figure out your own. You're creative enough. You're smart enough. Yeah. You can figure this out yourself. So how did that look? Because I know that you've worked professionally in some restaurants yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But have you always had like some type of hustle on the side, some type <laughs> of business that you're building on the side? Because I feel like that's the case for you. Yeah. Because I feel like our introduction. Oh, my gosh. I think you were like the one of the first vegans that I came across. And of course, you stood out to me because you were a black vegan. And not only were you a black vegan, you were a man. And I was like, wait a minute. Who is this? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know how it is, especially. I mean, I feel like with social media, we see people more. But back in those early days, I've been, it's been 10 years for me. And back in those early days, it was you and Tracy. That's all I really saw. (laughs) I didn't really see black vegans. And as a matter of fact, I think the first time we met, I ran up on you on like DC Veg Fest. (laughs) You're probably like, who the hell is this? But I ran up on you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you didn't think, I don't think you thought I was crazy because I knew Tracy. So you were probably like, oh, yeah. okay, she all right. <laughs> she ain't yeah. a crazy person. But you have to tell us, like, how did that look as far as I know, you know, the spirit was in you because of your mom, your dad, and you were taking all of the delivery, doing the deliveries and everything and cooking all the food. So what were some of those early jobs that you had as, as far as for yourself, like working for yourself? So after like the, the de- you know, delivering the food and, and whatnot, literally started to see more things like from a more of a business perspective. Right. So I was like, oh, man, we sell so much food. We should have a we should have a, another restaurant, something up in Seattle because we went to Tacoma. Seattle is about 30 minutes away. So we should have something in Seattle because that's that's where, you know, that's where the people are. And my <laughs> my mom said, OK, well, go ahead and do it. I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, you're like what? I was like, wait, what? What do you? What are you talking about? I know, I mean, we us. He's like, no, if that's what you want to do. You should. You go ahead and do it. But it, you know, so two things happened. One, I had no idea that I could do that. You know, it's like that thing in life where you you at you look for permission, right? And so she not only sort of gave me permission, but she gave me the wherewithal to like be like, oh, I I can do this. So I go, and I remember I was doing my route. I think I said that on like a Monday. By that Friday, I had found a place that was for rent, and I because I was I was taking pictures of different signs around. It was it was near the University of Washington, and found a place that was for rent. Reached out to the guy; he happened to be underwater, and he was trying to get out relatively quickly. And he only wanted like to sell the business for like five thousand dollars because you. Because you sell, you know, because I mean, and, you know, when other people would sell it for like 30 or 40 or whatever. Right. Yeah. It was a corner location. It was right in the foot traffic of University of Washington. It wasn't too much of a kitchen in there, but, you know, you can make it work. And and so I was like, OK, so I t- take it back to my mom because I was like 20 at the time. I was like, take it back to my mom. And she's like, all right. So I ended up partnering with my my father. We created a little partnership and then the guy sold it to us. And then I was just like, oh, shit, how do you run a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. You are truly failing forward. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 it was. I mean, it was about like a, it was like, like a 25, 30 seaters. It wasn't crazy. Wow, that's that's pretty. That's a good nice size. I think in my mind, I'm envisioning this being like a, like a counter and you know a couple of tables. I didn't think it would be that big. Goodness, uh, I mean, this 20. is a good start. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it was about yeah somewhere around there, about 20, 20. It was it was it wasn't huge, but it wasn't small either. So mm-hmm. I get started, and I'm just like I just start making the sandwiches that we were selling and stuff, and put that in. There, but that didn't really work. 
people would come in because no, because the 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 way that it was set up, like the people who were buying the sandwiches were buying the sandwiches on a grocery run. They weren't necessarily coming to a restaurant for it. So I had to. So I started getting foot traffic from the university, and people would sort of come by and. People would come by and be like, well, what is this play? I thought, where's the Filipino noodle shop? I was like, oh, they're gone. But I sell vegan food. Okay, they're out the door. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, you weren't supposed to say the B word. You're supposed to say, oh, I have this sandwich here. Come try this. <laughs> right, right. But they, 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 they saw through me. And I remember, oh, man, listen, first of all, shout out to black women. I remember this black woman came in and, and she was like, all right, well, you're new. And you're, I was like, I was very young and I always looked really young. And so she was like, oh, she looked at the menu. She's like, can I take this with me? And I said, yeah. She bought something, I, I believe. And then she came back at the, the end of that week and she had rewritten the menu and put a little, just, it wasn't a huge design, but it's like, put a little, little zhuzh on it, a little design, you know. And she's like, you need a better menu. Just wow. can you use this one, please? And I said, yes, I will. Thank you. And I used that menu for a, the first like couple of years, for sure. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And it was really, I don't even, I don't, I remember her face, like, you know, it's almost kind of like a dream, but I remember her face and I just remember, and she didn't really become a regular. She was just like, you need this. I'm going to do this for you. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, I appreciate that. So I started to grow the business and, and I started, that's where I started making mac and yeast, actually. Um, so I would do sandwiches and soul food, right? So I had mac and yeast, I had greens, I had potato salad, I had some like fried rice and stuff. And then I had my little line of burgers. And the burgers, I really kind of got into making burgers. So I, I had, you know, I had one with, I had like the, the popular one was the crazy Jamaican burger. And that was like, the, that was jerk tofu or Jamaican spice tofu, as we called it. Potato salad, grilled onions, tomato, grilled sweet plantains, and like a mayo on the top. And that became like the most popular one. And people would come in and order that. And now I had a barbecue one, with like a barbecue sauce, barbecue burger. They ordered that with like the mac and yeast. We had one I had like, what was my other favorite one? The frijoli moly burger. It was like refried beans, like a Mexican flavored tofu, a salsa, mayo, picante thing. Oh, good old days. Anyway, yeah. So, so that was uh, <laughs> making myself hungry. So that went on for, you know, Man, so that went on for. I opened in 2000, and by the time I got rolling, finally got my my, my feet on the ground rolling. 9/11 came around. Oh wow! And people stopped eating. And an interesting thing happened. Same thing happened in 2020. An interesting thing happens when people go into crisis mode, and that is they stop being vegan. Because <laughs> you know most people That's got gonna... into veganism with a little wing and a prayer anyway. And so, right. but people, and I noticed it back then that people stopped, they, they just started, they wanted comfort food. They wanted, you know, something else. And then my business fell off. People weren't even really going outside that much, you know, that mm-hmm. really same thing. People were like afraid to be outside. It's like a, I don't know, it's weird. It's like, it kind of repeats itself, but people were afraid to come outside. You know, people weren't really eating a lot of vegan food. And so I just kind of like held on, you know, and Shout out to my parents because, you know, I had to ask them for some rent money a couple of times. But again, you know, they had that foundation. They were able to do that. That's a blessing. Yeah. 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 yeah it really. It really was. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess as when I'm talking about this, like, I kind of have like a white boy story. You know, 
little baby Donald Trump story, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you asked your parents for a small loan of a million dollars too? No, 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 no. I got 5,000 from them. So we gotta, you got to scale it down to black. <laughs> so a million white dollars. It's 5,000 black dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you are so silly. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Cause it was, it was, this is pre DoorDash days. Yeah. So it wasn't like everybody yeah. last year, everybody was like, okay, Grubhub, yeah. DoorDash, right. all my favorite foods. And for you, it was like, okay, they don't, if you don't get the foot traffic, you are out of business. Look, it's like the sun don't shine. The sun don't shine. Like that's, right. that's what it was. You know, but I'd be there. But one thing that I one thing that I did, and I like to tell this story too, because one thing that I did when I would get bored just kind of being there is I would just turn up my music. And I would play hip I was playing hip hop and you know, this was like early two thousands, late nineties, early two thousands, like kind of golden age hip hop shit. And I would just play my music loud. And so I became and I had some posters on the wall and stuff, and so I became that spot where you could get vegan food and he was always playing and I, like at lunchtime, like I would play loud. Like I wanted people to feel it, you know? So I'd be playing the roots or, you know, whatever, Erica Badu or Black Thought or whatever the case may be, you know, and people would come and like, okay, this is different. But you know, <laughs> like now you go to a place, any vegan play or any cool quote unquote place. And it's, and it's like that. But at the yeah. time it wasn't like that at all. And, and I think also like, I was still like one of two one of two vegan places in that neighborhood and about three vegan places in Seattle, period. So the vegans have always had my back. Shout out to the vegans. Vegans have always had my back, you know, because people who are vegan are always going to be vegan. It will come through. And then we got back on track, got rolling. I would say around like the third year. So I had a, one, of my, one of my boys, well, he was kind of, he was older. I guess you could say one of more mentor, but he was, he was a promoter in town. He was a, he was, was a rapper turned into a promoter. And so he would he plugged me on getting food in the green room at the shows for artists. And so whenever artists would come through town, they would, you know, I would either take food to the to the venue for I mean, I'm talking people like, you know, like I said, all the people I listed, like Erica Badu, Saul Williams, Roots, Dead Prez, Black Alicious, like all those folks that would come through. I would be in the, in the green room with a tray of food and he would be like, no, just bring it. People will taste it and they'll love it. And I remember, and then one time, you know, and then they would come to the cafe. And then so where would get around to like, you could roll up on like your favorite hip hop artist while you're getting a sandwich. And so mm-hmm. people would start to come, you know, people just kind of sort of start to come. So, you know, it's just like finding different ways to like stay alive, you know, to right. stay afloat. <laughs> and then we got rolling again. And I don't know if you remember something called the Atkins diet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to eat bread. And I was like, oh, man, go wild. So then we started, <laughs> we started, then I started making wraps. And then the wraps became very popular because we would make wraps and, you know, and selling more side dishes and stuff like that. So it was just like, it was just constantly something. And like constantly something, trying to adapt to something and having to like, you know, really decide if you're going to stay, if you're going to stick it out or you're going to fold. And that's always, you know, I just grew up around that mentality of like, we're not going to fold no matter what. Because what's the alternative? You know what I mean? The alternative is like, okay, let me go work for somebody who I know I'm smarter than. (laughs) Damn. (laughs) Sorry. That's how I feel. (laughs) That's how I feel. (laughs) 
Expensive restaurant owners. Restaurant owners don't know shit about the restaurant industry. But that is Sorry. like the see. That's the thing about as far as a restaurant. Oh my goodness, the industry that that whole thing. I just feel like I don't know how it's like a grind to me in my mind. I'm like, oh my goodness. I feel like if you don't have, and I'm sure at that time you didn't have the budget to have somebody manage most of right. their day to day for you. So you were in there. You were in there day in and day oh, out. Yeah, I was the. How did you even? Right. <laughs> how did you even find time to try to grow the business? And I know it was really smart for your promoter friend to get you in those venues. I mean, in a bit, yeah, so that you can drop off the food. But outside yeah. of that, how do you even? You don't have time <laughs> to I mean, figure yeah. out how to grow. And I'll be honest, like you know, I feel like having someone with an MBA would be very helpful. Would have been very helpful, but you know, we didn't at the time, and I still don't. You know, something I've actually been thinking about, just trying to add that on because understanding how to grow, how to okay, so understanding the hustle and how to grow a mom and pop style business is one thing, right? But one thing mm-hmm. I noticed in 2018 when I want, when we landed Whole Foods with the Mac and E's was at a certain point, you got to shed the hustle mentality and you got to get into this corporate mentality as not, not like working for them, but like as yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So wait, wait, let's go back. Let's go back. So you went to the, you did the restaurant all of those years of doing the restaurant, the Mm -hmm. hustle and the grind. Mm -hmm. How did even, how did Whole Foods even come about? Because that's, I feel like that's your transition. At least that's in my mind, how this looks, the restaurant, Whole Mm -hmm. Foods and then Costco. So how did that Whole Foods happen? Okay. So there was a little bit of time in between that. So after, after Seattle, I did that, I was there for like six years. And then I actually left that business with my sister who, who had moved back and she was she was running and she had added like cookies and sweets and stuff and so and I was like and I had been you know like I said I've been working in the food industry since I was like thirteen I was like I've had enough I'm out <laughs> and I had <laughs> also like discovered spoken word and you know art and stuff and I was in all of that and I decided I was going to move to New York so I moved to New York two thousand into two thousand five and was like doing the thing being an artist making music and movies and stuff until about 2008. And then the the economy fell apart and I had to get a job. And at the time I was, you know, part of my New York hustle was I was volunteering. My New York hustle was like, I got, I got in everywhere by volunteering. I was like, Hey, do you want me to do something free? (laughs) People Mm. love to hear that shit. (laughs) They were like, yes. And then I was competent too. So so I was in with a group of promoters on one end and then on the other end on my, I was always doing yoga and I was like, let me find, there was a yoga spot where like all the little celebrities went and stuff. And it was also a really dope spot for yoga. So I would volunteer there a couple of days out of it and get free classes. And they also had a defunct cafe. So it was a whole floor in Union Square. They had a whole floor. Two thirds of it was yoga. One third of it was a cafe. And we have to... I have to. I, we have to talk a little bit about the, 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 the metaphysical here because in my twenties, I was definitely a manifesting machine. And like I said about the, the early the cafe, and, I, and I'm trying to get back to it because I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I know, right? But I, you were just running off of like the the sheer the sheer energy of being somebody young. You know how young yeah. people are invincible, just like. Yeah. The world is mine. You are really running off of that. Because yeah. when you're telling me about this restaurant, I'm like, what? You just went yeah. from the idea to, in- yeah. <laughs> into mm-hmm. ex- execution in a week? Yeah. <laughs> what? Youth, yeah, yeah, yeah. Youth definitely 
tells you a lot of things. One of them is that you can do whatever you want. Okay, so I was volunteering at the yoga spot. The restaurant was dark. So my job was to scrub the mats and clean the towels. You know, I had a little, they had a washing machine set up in the back. And you go drop off stuff at different stations. You put the, the mats over here, you put the towels over here. So I was like, where are these towels go? I was like, oh, it's around the corner in our little, you know, restaurant. It was literally dark, like, you know, had been closed for a while. I drop off this little pile of towels. And I, I shit you not, I looked around. I was like, hmm, yeah, I think I want this. Said it to myself, said it out loud, I think, <laughs> walked off. Didn't do nothing, you know, rest of the, but, but at the time I was making music and I was really focused on making music and like being in, in that art stuff, right? But then as that started to fall apart, that's a whole nother, that's a story for another podcast. But as that started <laughs> to fall apart, somebody, I was, t- I must've told somebody my, my, my past because somebody told the head people at the yoga spot, like, oh, you know, Allende used to own a vegan cafe. He's a chef. And, I was, and then they come up to me and I was like, hey, they offer, it's like, I'd like to have a meeting with you. And I was like, who, me, the volunteer? <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, yeah, they wanna, yeah can you sit down? And, okay. So I understand you used to be a vegan chef. You know, we're looking for a vegan chef. We're trying to revamp our, our restaurant. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. I'm a, I'm a rapper now. Thank you very much. I don't need to. Uh, <laughs> I don't that was an old life. <laughs> that, was, that was my before times. But thank you. Peace out. Oh, okay. So I go back to just volunteering and doing my thing. Like I said, then, you know, the, the music life started to started to kind of come apart. And then 20 or 20 or what was it? 2009, 2000, you know, whatever it was, started to like, you started to become very apparent that something was wrong. Right. And the money started to dry up in the in the art community. Like nobody could afford to do anything. So they asked me again, hey, do you want this job? <laughs> You're like, hey, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so so I said, hmm, all right, whatever. Yeah, I'll take I'll take your executive chef job in Manhattan. So mm, that sounds sweet. Yeah. So I took the job and they, you know, they were in the black. The place was like infested with roaches. It was it was it was it was a fixer upper. I mean, it was in a nice place, but like it was just, you know. They, they, I'm sorry, they were in the black. They were in the red. My bad. I'm about to say, were they in the, and they had a roach problem? Oh my goodness. They were closed. The restaurant had sucked so much money, they just closed it, you know, and it was operating in the red. So I come in, revamp the menu, restaff it, create what I call a, a restaurant Bible. Like when I go to a restaurant, eating like a Bible of how everything works and all the shifts and all that sort of stuff. And we t- I started that in like August. And, and I don't know if you, like in New York, like everybody kind of leaves the city in August. So we were getting like maybe 10, 20 people in a day. So we had the time, got rid of the roaches, got, you know, got everything scrubbed and cleaned and plugged and all that sort of stuff. Redid the menu. <laughs> it was funny, too, because, you know, when a new boss comes in, people were like, listen, I'll stay if you make me your sous chef. <laughs> I'll say if you make me your lead baker. I was like, done, done. Yes. (laughs) And then by September, right after Labor Day, everybody comes back to the city. So we went from having like 10 people a day, 20 people a day to having 200 people a day. Wow. But, you know, everything held. The systems that I created held. Everything was was going good. And we started, we just kind of started rolling. And that fall, and it just, you know, started, started rolling. And then we eventually got from the red into the black 
And over the year, I was there for like two and a half, three years, something like that. And then over the years, you know, in the beginning, they were like, you can do whatever you want. Be the face of the restaurant. This is all for you. And I was like, great. Just pulled the same play, played my music, you know, made my good food, did everything. People would come in, you know, at the time, you know, at the time, Twitter had just come out and, you know, Russell Simmons was tweeting about me and other people were been in the New York Times called me at the desk one day and they were like, hey, we want to get a quote from you. We heard you the popular young chef in town. I was like, OK. Had I put a put an article in the in the I had put a recipe published, got a, uh, published in the New York Times. And at the time I was still like, again, in my so my my mentality of like, I'm not going to work for people for very long. I was like, yo, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to put some money towards what I want to do. So I was also like, and I had decided at the time that on my artistic side of things that like I could do everything I wanted to do in film. I was like, I'm going to go to acting school. I'm going to acting school and I'm an executive chef in Manhattan. Don't ask me again, 20s, right? <laughs> Your 20s tell you all sorts of things. So I was doing all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I was, and I, and I finally started making some money, which was also great because I hadn't made money. I don't even know how I survived in New York, to be honest with you, up until that point, because, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was making some, but, you know, you make a little bit of money here and there and you kind of put it all together and you keep the rent paid and you, you know, eat where you can eat and all that sort of stuff. A lot of falafel, probably, I was getting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably noodles, too. Yeah. And then, so then after my, my stand as executive chef there was done, I was just like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore because they were like, you can't play your music. You can't do this. You can't do any of the things that we, we let you do. So it sounds like what happened is they, you built it from the ground up and then they were like, oh, by the way, you can't do this. You can't do that. After you saw what was working and they see that's working, but they wanted to change the, the I guess, the vibe. Yeah, yes, that is what happened. But it was, it was more like we had, we had literally hit the tipping point. So, you know, with restaurants and like with anything, with anything, really, you, you get past like what builds it and then it and then it, it just became popular. Right. So it just became a place that people would come for lunch. People didn't even do yoga. People didn't even come there. It was, on, you know, it was kind of hidden. It was on the second floor. It was, you know, but people would come just for the food. And once you hit that tipping point, if it's a restaurant, if it's distribution, if it's whatever music, whatever it is, then it takes on a life of its own. And you can, and so they don't know that I used to have soul music Sundays for brunch. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So like, it just, and that's what, and I learned a lot from that too, because then they took all my recipes and put them in the cookbook. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. But that's, you know, but that's the, that is the cost of being a creative for someone else. You yes. give your idea. They, they want your young, fresh ideas and they suck you dry and they're like, all right, Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah seriously i'm so it's good that you can laugh about it now instead yeah. of crying still hey yeah you found your way you found your way and that's the thing a lot of times when someone steals your idea they're taking something that's old anyway at that point you had already moved on in your head and it and you were moving on to bigger and better things anyway so well that's also, usually how it is mm-hmm. yeah and also understanding creativity is is a is a is literally a it's a river like you just got to yes. tap into it you know absolutely you, you, and, and once you learn how to tap into it, you understand that I'm going to come up with better ideas. Now, yeah, you'll never run out. Yep. Yeah. Now, I never made mac and cheese for them. There's certain things that I never. Thank God. I never exposed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because right. Because I'm like, I'm not going to expose this to you because I understand what the risk would be. And, you know, and I always like in mac and cheese, like Coca-Cola, like you don't go ask for the recipe for Coca-Cola. And they're not going to give it to you. So why are you asking me? <laughs> 
Here's Monique hopping in to thank Ana Luisa for sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. And so if you're not familiar, and you should be familiar, <laughs> Ana Luisa makes simple and affordable jewelry pieces that never skimp on the style. They offer earrings, necklaces, rings, and bracelets for any occasion. I recently wore their Una bracelet to a wedding, and it, and it was just so beautiful and simple. It complemented my dress. And even though I wore it to a wedding, I feel like I can get away with wearing it every day. And I feel like that is the overall aesthetics of the brand. They just beautiful, simple pieces truly for any occasion. So Ana Luisa's jewelry is made clean, it's low impact, and they use as many recycled materials as they can. They also use that same philosophy with their packaging. They only send you the essentials and their shipping mailer is made of 100% recycled paper. I have to say that my favorite thing about Ana Luisa though, is that I never have to worry about using conflict diamonds. They use 100% sustainable lab grown diamonds. So of course, all of their diamonds are traceable, they're peaceful and they're earth friendly. With jewelry prices that only start at $39 and a new collection released every Friday, there's no better time than now to add some Ana Luisa pieces to your collection. As a listener to this show, you will receive a discount. All you have to do is go to shop.analuisa.com slash brownvegan. Ana Luisa is spelled A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Once you go to the website, all you have to do is put in brown vegan in the discount code to save 10%. Once again, that is shop.analuisa.com slash brownvegan, A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. And I'll also make sure that I put a link on the blog post for you to make it easy for you to click through. So yes, make sure that you let me know what you think once you make your purchase. I know you're going to you're going to tell us how you got to the whole yeah. foods. But yeah. t- before you do that, though, tell us about mac and cheese. Like this is like a family recipe is what I've always thought of it as. Right. Yes. Yes. This is a family recipe. OK. And so, who, who came up with it? Great grandma, Mary Fluker in, mm-hmm. Mo- in uh, St. Stephen's, Alabama. So this was a baked mac and cheese she would make for Sunday dinner that my dad always loved. Right. And so back when we started the cafe in Seattle, he showed me how to make it. And he was like, just play with it. I don't know. Just figure it out. Because it wasn't, it wasn't what it is today, but it was it, the elements were there. And he was like, just play with it. Just make it. You know, and the more you and he understood that the more cooking is really repetition. So I've literally been making that recipe for about 20 years. Right. So I, was mm-hmm. just, I, would, I made it there. And when I went to, when I was in New York, after... I think I was the first time I took it out was at New York Veg Fest, which is in 2009, 10, somewhere in there. The very first one. And I took it out there. People loved it. And I was like, OK. And I always knew that it was all mac and yeast was kind of like always in my back pocket. I was like, if I need to make a little extra money, I can always sell mac and yeast. And, I, and, and that Veg Fest kind of solidified that for me. So after I retired from the corporate chef world, I started doing pop-ups and I would sell mac and yeast as, you know, in in the pop-ups and then I would sell mac and yeast. What else did I sell it? I was selling at festivals and I did a couple of pop-ups in New York. I did one in in Brooklyn called Petite Dejeuner, which was mac and yeast and waffles. I did Wildflower, which was a bigger pop-up. We did that. It was like the first vegan pop-up in Manhattan. We did that for three days. I think we got like 2,000 people through there over the three days. I sold it there. And then by the time I left New York, I ended up, I moved back to Seattle for a stint. I was like, this ain't it. So I came to LA 
And again, I, you know, I didn't really know anyone, didn't want to work for anyone. I was offered a job almost immediately. And I was like, no, y'all. So I'm like, I'm not going to repeat the same thing. So I started selling mac and yeast at festivals. They had like Eat Drink Vegan out here. They had Vegan Street Fair. And I would sell it at like the PETA office. I would go set up at the PETA office. Or just anywhere. You know, I would, I would, people would have house parties. I'd bring it there. Like I was just selling mac and yeast literally out the trunk, right? And I would, mm-hmm. I would be selling mac and yeast wherever they would have me. And after that, I was gaining this reputation because people were like, oh, he sells, you know, again, it's like you make good vegan food. I will remember you, right? And I'll tell you how the, the leap happened was I was, it was a Sunday, it was Sunday. I was sitting at home. I was supposed to do yoga that day, but I overslept. And I was, I don't know, I was being emo about something. And I was like, I'm just going to get some ice cream. So <laughs> I go. <laughs> That's my, always a cure, right? <laughs> right. And my home, my home girl has a vegan ice cream shop out here. And so I went to her, to her place and I'm just kind of sitting out front eating my little ice cream. But there was, and then she was like, oh, I think your friends are out back. And I was like, who are my friends? And <laughs> so she said, I go out back and there's a bunch of bloggers and people that I have seen and, you know, friends of mine from, from the vegan community. And so they're all tasting the menu and stuff. And so another, a friend of mine comes up to me and she's like, hey, I want you to meet Megan. She works at Whole Foods. And I was like, okay, hi, hi, Megan. And she's like, oh, actually, and she's like, oh, he makes the, this great mac and he makes mac and yeast. He makes the vegan mac and cheese. Okay. And, she's, and Megan says, oh, we're actually kind of looking for a new vegan mac and cheese. Oh, wow. I said, okay. Now, listen, at this point, I must have been through about... Four or five people who were quote unquote investors, and we were going to make millions of dollars in restaurants, and people wanted to open restaurants with me. And people, so at this point, I'm just like, "Oh, you want some mac and cheese? Oh, okay, yeah, whatever." So, yeah, I'll make you some, but you aren't really getting your hopes up. I got you. No. So she's like, "Well, can you come on Wednesday?" I said, "All right." So I, I was like, "What do you want?" She's like, "Yeah, just come present to us on Wednesday." I said, "Okay, cool." I mean, making mac and cheese ain't nothing to me. I make some mac and cheese. I go down to their to their their you know offices. I present to them, and the the lead guy he's like, "Yeah, this this is this is good." I don't know. What do you think? Can you make like twenty five hundred pounds a week? No. Nope. And I said, <laughs> "I said yes, yes, I can, absolutely, yes, absolutely." In my mind, I'm like, "Holy fuck! How do I make twenty five hundred pounds of mac right. and cheese?" Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> So I walk out and I'm like Googling and figuring out how to make, you know, so the moral of that story is always say yes first. Get the bag first, figure out how to supply the goods later. So I, an interesting thing happened. So I was talking about the transition, right, from hustle to the business side. So I can't, there's no way that I could supply them the volume that they needed, right? Mm -hmm. Myself, the way that I made it. So I had to scale it up. And so in order to do it myself, in a bigger kitchen at that point, because it was not, it was Los Angeles, Nevada, Arizona, Maui, Oahu. Once you, once you put that kind of volume out in that many different States, you're a part of the food chain, right? So it has mm-hmm. to be regulated by the FDA and all that sort of stuff. So you can't just be at the crib or, or at your homie's big kitchen doing it. So I had to find a co-manufacturer. Right. Found a coal manufacturer after a long time looking, thought it wasn't going to come together. Finally found a guy who was like North African dude. 
And he was like, yo, I like your name. I like your hustle. I'm going to give you a shot. I, and everybody knows that they don't give startups a shot. Like, I mean, people have to come into the food industry with like millions of dollars and all that sort of stuff, but he gave me a shot. And so we started with Whole Foods in 2018. And, and also, just for clarification for people who don't know, it was on a hot bar, right? On a hot bar, yes, correct. You started on a hot bar, okay. On a hot bar, yeah. So we started on the hot bar. I was still doing festival and stuff. Did Coachella that year. That was the that was actually Baychella. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, quick story about hustle versus like, the Coke manufacturer had made a bunch and then lost it. They were like, well, we have all this food you ordered and... Cause they, but they didn't give it to me when I was supposed to get it to Whole Foods. So it was either going to go bad or I was like, I'll have to do something with it. And so, and I had done all these festivals and some of the people who did one festival also did the food at Coachella. So I hit up my man. I was like, yo, can I get a spot? And he said, yeah, cool. I got a food truck spot. I didn't have a food truck, but I was like, I'll take it. I had a friend who had a food truck, another chef who had a food truck. And I was like, hey, do you want to partner on this Coachella thing? She was like, Sure. Well, that turned out to be a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, tell us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to try not to name this person. No, don't, don't, don't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. But I don't know, man. Like, she, first of all, she showed up with like a film crew, you know, was going to make a whole documentary while she was there. And then, you know, they, so, so there's a thing. So when you, when you, when you prep for festivals, I have I had dialed it in like I knew how much to prep for, how much was going to sell, how much was going to be, you know, how much I I wasn't going to sell. So I was like, okay, I calculated it out. I knew exactly what I needed to do. The newbie person says, well, let's see. Coachella is going to have 100,000 people. That means I need 100,000 orders. (laughs) That's not not what you fucking (laughs) need. No, 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 no. (laughs) You know, you do 1%, 2%, 5%. Right. Yes. So especially and, because this is not a vegan crowd. <laughs> right. And so what happens then is you start stressing immediately because you're looking at all this food you're going to lose because that's money. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so this air of tension fills the air. Now, Shorty could cook like her food is good. And she had a large staff. And I ended up I was like, listen, I don't think I can bring extra people. This is going to be me. and. If you guys can help, then cool. Because I'm only doing mac and yeast. Like I'm doing two different. I'm gonna put some broccoli on one. I might put some jalapenos on the other. But that's it. That's all I'm doing. I'm gonna keep it real fucking simple. So I do that, and then it. Then she had there was a partner there who I literally almost got into a fist fight with because you know again it's because like even though I was a one man operation, I've been doing that shit so long. I was smooth sailing, but like they couldn't get it together. And I was just like, I mean, I don't know what you want me to tell you, (laughs) but you know, then the story got, then then I heard back people like, oh yes, they took me to Coachella and I was ungrateful. And I was just like, but okay. But the moral of the story, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the moral of the story is I should have just taken the L and let the food go bad or donated to like a homeless shelter or something because Mm -hmm. me trying to recoup that money me trying to like make sure to keep my hustle going got me in trouble where the corporate mentality is like, sometimes you lose money, right? Sometimes you got to pay out $5,000, $10,000 and you got to recoup it in the next quarter, right? Like you have Mm -hmm. to have the mentality that I'm not going to, if I lose this money, I'm not going to fail, right? 
If I lose this little bit of money today, I just got to remember that my busy season is coming. I'm going to get it back here. Right. And I think that making the transition, a lot of black people, you know, who, who, I mean, let's face it, this is, you know, our path out of poverty, our path out of our circumstance usually comes from one good idea or two, you know, if it's in the food industry, it's from, you know, a family recipe or something, but learning how the, you know, you're plugging into an industry, like I can be a disruptor all day, but I'm still having to work with some guy named Sam in Arkansas who runs and says yes or no to, uh, on everything that comes into Walmart. And he don't understand shit about a hustle. He understands everything about corporate stuff. You understand right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you still have the gatekeepers. You still have gatekeepers. Absolutely. And the food industry is very, very, very much still one color and it ain't black. You know? Yeah. Like we have in the, you think about the food industry and you think, oh man, there's plenty of people of color in the food industry. Yeah. People pick the food are people of color. People who prepare the food are people of color. People who may even, you know, have little restaurants are people of color. But when you go to the grocery store, you're talking about billion dollar industries, billion dollar companies. Then you go to the grocery store and you grab that box of something, you grab that thing out the freezer, you grab that gallon of almond milk, those companies those people are not black. They're not brown. They are not Asian. They're not anything. They're all white people for the mm-hmm. most part. I mean, I would say 90% of them are. Like you go to these conventions, you go to these places and you see and you're like, yo, like I'm the only, because I did Expo West in 2019 and I was one of, if not the only black owner there. And so like understanding that like you have to you got to, if you want to, if you want to yearly, you know, use your a family recipe, you want to get in, you know, because people ask me all the time and I'm like, oh, I got this sauce on the sauce. So okay, well, start selling it. Start selling it first. You know, just start. Yeah, see- that's the first step. Stop thinking about it. Yeah. Start selling mm-hmm. it. See if, see if people actually want to buy it. You can start there, yeah. you know, and then gradually work your way into these bigger places. You know, if I can, you know, I'll just give the advice now. What I tell people is like, start selling it, you know sell it at your farmer's market, sell it to your, you know, sell it to your friends, sell it to your church, sell it where you can sell it and educate yourself on getting your nutritional labels done, getting your packaging source, educate yourself on all those things. Then go to your local grocery store and ask if they have a local vendor program. And if they have a local vendor program, cool. I can plug in this local vendor program. You can probably get a license to, to make it on a small scale, right? Before you scale up. And then from there, those people can be able to tell you, this is how you pitch to regional. This is how you pitch mm-hmm. to national. You know, and you sort of get in there and like people have programs. And then a lot of people are still trying to plug in their diversity. You know, there's always a diversity budget. There's always a diversity slide if you're a person of color. If you're not a person of color, you know, there's always, there's always a, pl- you know, there's always a way to get in locally. And if you, you know, once you get in locally, you can grow. And that's all I did. You know, I just did it locally. And somebody is going to say something to somebody and, and, and consistency. You know, yeah. I've been doing this shit since I was 13 years old. I was going to say, yeah, so, anybody's consistent as you. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not like, you know, people think, oh, you just popped up and was in, you know, Whole Foods and Costco. And I guess I'll just, I know we're about an hour, but I'll finish out like, so how we got to Costco. So after 2020, first thing is we were on the hot bar and then the hot bar closed. So we stopped selling food to Whole Foods, which was my main source of income. 
I was going to say, was that your bread and butter? Because I feel like that would have been because it required so much time. Child, that, was the, that was the bread, the butter, the knife, the plate. That was all Mimi. <laughs> so I was like, shit, <laughs> what am I going <laughs> to do now? And so I remember there was a time during my early years of being in L.A. People asked me to ship them mac and yeast. And I was like, and I did it. And that was very bad. It was very terrible when I first did it. I, I didn't have the right packaging. I didn't have the right system or whatever. But now I had the co-manufacturer so I could make it in large volume yeah. and make me up 15, 1,500 pounds, something like that. And then we were just selling it. We would sell, I, we, it would be frozen. We found out the packaging system to get it to people. And we had a lot of hiccups in the beginning, a lot of hiccups. We we were consistent. I called Tabitha Brown. I got her to do a couple shout outs. This is back before she was out of my price range. But she's <laughs> 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 still the homie. But like, and she will. She you know she's still the homie. But like I you know back then it was like I was like look I got a couple thousand dollars. Can you shout this out? She was like yes. Boom. And then we kind of got rolling because you remember twenty twenty people were like supporting black people. Remember that? Oh yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's gone. Did I, did yeah, I well, wake I up and? That's done. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that's done. That's done. <laughs> so I'm, glad when, I'm glad we were allowed to see it. <laughs> yes, yes. So back when people were amplifying my voice, yes, we got it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like again, from from March until I would say we went through the summer. I reformulated the mac and yeast so it could be frozen because it couldn't be frozen before. So I, I took that summer to reformulate it. Thought I was going to be back in Whole Foods at some point. They ended up, <laughs> they ended up going with the, going in another direction with their mm-hmm. with another vegan mac and cheese on their hot bar, which oh, I didn't man. find out until earlier this year. But to finish twenty twenty, by the time we got to our busy season is usually October to December, and you know, like I said, people were supporting Black folks. They were shouting us out and whatnot. And after I would, you know, what was that? Three quarters of making no money. I think we we. In sales, we cleared a hundred thousand in just mac and cheese for for the holidays, which was a blessing. You know, I mean, it it only kind of balanced out the year, but you know, because I I mean, you know, my company is different. Like when I say that, that means something to people. But understanding the cost of that and the cost of shipping and the cost of you know all the money that was lost, that balanced out to like maybe twenty thousand dollars. Man. Yeah, but you but at that point because of everything that had happened, you felt like okay, that's good. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm still I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. I don't owe. Oh, you know, it's better yeah. to have a little bit of profit than none. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Especially know? after oh my god, 2020 was nuts. 2020 was yeah. I mean, it was another one of those those points where you're like, "All right, what you going to do? You going to fold, mm-hmm. you going to figure it out." Right. You know, and you know, Thank God I had my, you know, my manufacturer to be able to do that. And he let me work out of his facility, you know, as well. So it was, yeah, it was wild. It was, it was a wild year, but you know, it was just figuring it out, you know, and I decided and, and making a choice, you know, I decided like, you know what, what I'm gonna do? What I'm, yep. gonna, do? I'm gonna quit, move, move home. What I'm gonna do? Like, I know you gonna figure it out. <laughs> exactly. I love that. You know, Let's talk about that meeting though, that Costco meeting. Costco. Costco actually came from a colleague. I literally was, I literally just asked someone, I was like, yo, cause I had to transition. Once I found out that I didn't have the hot bar anymore, I had to transition to retail. And I had started that in 2020 with the direct to consumer stuff. And I was like, okay, I got to transition to retail. Who can I go? So I went back to one of my, to one of my colleagues and I was like, Hey, I know 
you know some people at Costco. Can you tell me, can you give me a name? Say yes. Gave me a name. And, and I've made it, and I'm telling you, I've made it this far from then to now on the merit of the, of the food alone, the taste, right? Mm-hmm. Took them some samples. They were like, this is good. We're going to give it a shot. You know, with retail, again, it's very different. It's a lot more money up front. You got to pay for the packaging mm-hmm. and pay for the delivery. You got to cover it if it goes bad. If they people don't, if it doesn't sell, et cetera, et cetera. Still learning. Not gonna lie. Still learning. Yeah. Um, we're still trying to find, you know, our groove with with Costco. You know, when I say, you know, when we're we're in these places, you know, we we still have we still have to reach a tipping point with retail. I haven't reached that tipping point yet. Still have to reach a tipping point with retail. So, you know, even when I reached out to you, I was like, yo, because I'm trying to get the word out. You know, when people right. and like you gotta, you have to buy. Like you asked me for this. Like people ask me, get it here, get it here. Okay, now you gotta go buy it. I've done. Go buy it, right? You know. So what does that look like? Are you still are you still selling it on the website, or is it yes. only in Costco now? No, okay. So both. Okay. But you prefer at this point for people to buy it from Costco because that just is, is a better metric, right? For you, the Costco, because you get more locations. Is that how that works? Yeah. So I would say it's more convenient. It's really for the customer, you know, and, and, and I won't, you know, it won't be quote unquote better for me until like it's in several regions and we're selling truckloads of mac and cheese. Right now, it's still, you know, we make a little bit of money, but we don't make a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. and that's the thing I think people <laughs> people tend to stop supporting you when they see, you know, you partnering up with bigger brands and put bigger names by your name. It's like, oh, he don't need my support no more. He ain't got stuff. Oh, like, no, okay. no, 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 no. I need it. I need more than ever. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you know, Instagram likes and posts do not translate to sales. You know, you gotta have that extra thing. And again, I'm figuring out, but you gotta have that extra thing that like pushes you into people's refrigerators, you know? So, you know, we're, with Costco, of course, they have the sampling thing, but when we lost in Costco, you couldn't do samples. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. Right. So, so you lost you know, that. Yeah. It's a, it's a very uphill battle, you know, with COVID and stuff. So we're st- I'm still not out the woods with it, you know? Still not out the woods with it. But, wow. you know, states are starting to open up a little bit more. They're able to do samples in different places. And I think we're going to start doing samples, I don't know, by the time this comes out, but We'll still, we'll do samples in the Southeast and we will, you know, just try to get people to get people to, to, to try it and, and want it. You know, it's a, it's at a good price. You know, we, 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 we have, it's, you know, it's there, it's, it's available. And like a lot of people, you know, especially we have some people from Puerto Rico hitting us up and tagging us and stuff. So I feel like when you're off the West coast, like the West coast is very used to getting a bunch of vegan stuff, but people yeah. in the South in the Southeast are like, yo, we've been wanting this, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so what can we do to support? Like, what can we do? Because I know right now, congratulations, I have to say this, because this is not a small feat. To be in 100 locations is bomb as hell, you know, to be able to have that. So, yeah. yes, absolutely. What can we do to support you, though? What can we do to get you in more locations? What can we do to just make this happen? Well, to connect it. Yeah. I would say that. I don't I would say you figure out how your local store wants to take requests. You know, like we. We with Whole Foods is one way, with Costco is a different way. They don't necessarily like social media pressure at Costco for some reason, you know, even though they're a membership based company, but they don't really respond to that. So I would say ask, you know, your local grocer, hey, I want this product. I know they distribute here, here, and here. 
how can we get it? Because mm-hmm. then they go to our website and they reach out to us and they say, hey, give me a sample and see if the buyers like it, you know, that kind of thing. But when it comes to Costco, I would say just ask them, you know, hey, I want this. How do I request a new product? I want, I want to try this. And then they'll take it from there. Yeah. You know, if you want it immediately without waiting for Costco, you know, you have to cover the shipping costs and whatnot, but you can buy it off the website, which is IEatGrass.com. I was going to say that. Plug the website. Yeah. Because yeah. I know that I'm going to have to get it from there too, because it's not here. I checked. Yeah. <laughs> I, I checked like within like a hundred mile radius and I'm yeah. like, ooh. Yeah. So yeah. that's what I was going to tell you to do next. Okay. So I want to say this though. I want to talk to you about, I think something that I'm learning from listening to your conversation that I think is so important for anybody who is trying to put themselves out there is I feel like your network is A1. And because you have been around and you've met so many people and done so much, Mm -hmm. I think that that has really, I'm sure you feel like that to a certain extent as well. Well, Of course, Mac and Yeez is amazing, right? mm -hmm, But mm -hmm. I feel like you have an A1 network too. Yeah. And reputation. You know, Absolutely. I try to keep my reputation as, as strong as possible out there, you know, like with the people that I deal with, you know, I pay people on time. I show up and I say, I'm going to show up. I don't leave a mess. Like, I mean, this is the basics. You know what I'm saying? The basics. Right, right. Basics, yeah. You know? Yeah. Understanding that like when people think of you, they think of the experience they had with you, you know. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, and they bring us good food. And like, you know, he may not talk a lot, but, you know, the food's going to be good. He pays me on time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I fuck with him. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's it. You know, like I make a lot of I think a lot of it has to do with that. And I think, you know, in the food industry, when you're around a lot of creatives, like people don't really think about that. It's, you know, and I don't think about that. I, there's other things that I don't think about. I think about food first. But, you know, when you're growing and again, when you're, you know, when I deal with Whole Foods, you know, they, they go to a conference, they're going to talk to a buyer from Costco and Safeway and, and Teeter Harris or whomever. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and, and if I've spoken to them and they mention, say, hey, I remember you had this thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He delivers on time. Yeah, he pays it. He pays on time. He does, you know, whatever, whatever. You know, so it's, it's, it's a lot. It's really about like who you are and how you tend to carry yourself as a person, and how you tend to run your business as a person. And I had a lot of experience doing the wrong thing. Yep. You know, so. But that's how you learn though. That's how you get to this point though. You didn't, you didn't get in it. You didn't go hide in the corner somewhere because of it. You just learned from it and moved on and kept going. So I think that's a very important lesson as well for people who are getting started. But like before we wrap up, because the last question that I have for you is just something that's, that just came up as we were talking is what do you suggest for someone to keep going? Because I know that sometimes, and I just know from my own experience, that sometimes it's just like, what the hell am I doing? Does it even really matter? You have those thoughts that come up, especially when you feel like you can't get to the next level the way that you want to. And that's just like physical products, people who offer services. It's just anything, like anything that you have. It's like a final, I guess, I tip say, that you want to give. Yeah. 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 Focus on your why. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing it? That's the only thing that's going to fuel you. It's like, why are you doing this? You know, I talked earlier about my dad and him saying, like, I had to feed my family, you know, why, you know, my mom wanted to, she, she understood that she thought people would enjoy the food. That's why she wanted to do it. You know, what is, I, I started my first cafe because I was like, well, I know that people are going to come because we do this. Mm-hmm. So my why and your why is your fuel, right? That's the thing that keeps the light on at nighttime when you're trying to put it all together. And, you know, when you're 
sweeping up the floor and doing the taxes after you had a full day, you know, running a restaurant. And, you know, it has its rewards, but on the downtimes and, you know, and like in 2020, it's like, well, I'm not, my, my reason for doing this is because, A, I know that, I know there's better vegan food to be had. <laughs> you know <what> I, mean? <laughs> I personally know that. And I, and I started this business because I was, I remember I was out one night and I was eating some bad vegan food again. I was like, man, I should just, why can't people just make good vegan food? And the, and the data happened to be on, she was like, well, why don't you just do it? Mm-hmm. You know, same thing. It's like, okay, that, if that is, if your why is because you don't, if your why is because you don't want to get a corporate job, if your why is because you feel like what you have is great even though nobody else in the world has tasted it, put it in their hair, tried it, put it on their skin, rode the bike, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's lonely, right? Because you're like, well, shit, it's just me. It's just a low me. Like, mm-hmm. why would anybody, blah, blah, blah. But that's the unique part about it. How yeah. I couldn't be more unique of an individual if I tried. <laughs> you sure can. Right? <laughs> but people... Like how I like how I get down in the kitchen. They're like, I like, I'll, yeah, this is good. Whatever you bring to it is great, mm-hmm. you know. And believing that, you know, and like I said, people people see me now and they're like, oh man, I just got a, I literally got a text as this started. I'm like, you're killing it out here, bro. And it's like I'm doing the same thing I've been doing since I was 13 years old. <laughs> oh, now now you come to tell me I'm killing it because right. I'm at Costco now. <laughs> right, I'm doing the same thing. Since I was 13 years old. Okay. So yeah, I guess I'm killing it, but (laughs) I'm also like consistent, you know, and I know that. You show up when you don't want to, right? You just show up when you don't want to. The thing about, okay. So the thing about Mac, like Mac and Yeast wasn't always the thing that I thought was my best thing. People told me that. I thought the crazy Jamaican burger was my ticket to fame or like was my, my, my most, my best creation. But people would tell, you got some mac and cheese? Hey, where that mac and cheese at, dog? And then finally I started to listen, right? And so, you know, another a chef friend of mine asked me about this and they was like, I want to start to sell something. I said, but well, what do people tell you that they like? I want, you know, they tell you, I want to, you know, personal company, I want to do this, I want to do this. But what do people tell you that they like about whatever it is that you do? Mm, this is really important. I love that. Yes, that is. I think this is that's a real lesson right there. That's yeah. so true. Yeah, because yeah. I'm because because then you because you're swimming upstream if you're not doing that. And once I focused on mac and yeast, right, and mm-hmm. it was like, okay, this is going to be the thing. I'm going to push this because this is what people want. Then it opened up, right? Then it opened up. It, it brought it brought money. I could do, I could, I I use some money to go make a little short film. It brought exposure. I can go back to these contacts and bring a new product if I want. I, you know, but following the one, there's always going to be one thing people like, yeah, that's cool. But the, but that, that way that, you know, you do that thing. That's what I like. Mm -hmm. I just leaning into that. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Okay, tell us again before we go. Mm-hmm. Tell us how we can order the mac and yeast, and also tell us how to follow you on social media or whatever else you want us to do to support you. You can go to our our Instagram, which is at m a c a n d y e a s e at mac and yeast, and then you can link out to everything there. My personal Instagram is my first name Ayende a y i n d. The website is ieatgrass dot com i e a t g r a s s dot com. You can order from there directly from from me 
And if you're on the East Coast, we have a depot in Chicago. So everything's about a day to two day shipping on the East Coast. And yeah, I mean, if you're if you're in a state where you see it on the shelf at the Costco, buy like four or five packs of it and put it in your mm-hmm. freezer. You know, just put it in the freezer. It, it freezes well. It eats well. It's a nice family meal. But you have to show people that you want to support it, you know, yeah. and tell your friends about it. It was a pleasure. Thank you for hearing your like love hearing your story. I love how you kept going despite anything, everything that was going on. And I also love the fact that, you know, you were just you are truly the king of failing forward. You just like like you said, get the bag <laughs> and figure it out afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Afterwards. As I think, you know, you don't see that as it's happening. But yeah, I guess I was. But I really yes. appreciate you taking the time to do this. You know, I love the I've listened to a couple of these podcasts and I'm happy to be on it for sure. Yes, I really appreciate it. Like I said, you are definitely one of the first vegans that I came across when I started this journey. And so to see how you went from I Eat Grass, which a blog that your blog that I used to read all the time, to selling your own brand and being and, and, and breaking through in this food space is so inspiring to me. So I just really appreciate you taking the time. And that's why when you when you were like, come on, when I'm getting on a podcast, I'm like, yes, here's my calendar. Let's do this. So I'm excited for this. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Cool. All right. Thank you again. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks again to Anna Louisa for sponsoring today's show. Don't forget to go to their website to treat yourself and your loved ones to some jewelry pieces. All you need to do is go to shop.analouisa.com slash brown vegan and use the discount code brown vegan to save 10%. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. All of the show notes will be at brownvegan.com. So check those out. Also, let me know what you thought of this episode. Come hang out with me on Instagram. My handle over there is at brownvegan. Have a great day and I will talk to you next week.